Hello, and welcome to a bonus episode of Cinematic Universe. I'm Seb Patrick, and joining me to help make sense of some comics is... David Hartrick. Yeah, so this is uh, the first of a new um, sort of strand of bonus episodes of the podcast. Um, basically, what we're going to do from now on is every so often, kind of on a probably quite irregular schedule, um, record these additional bonus chats on various subjects, um, sometimes TV shows, sometimes comics, sometimes doing a, uh, explaining a comics concept. Um, and the idea is that if you're a, um, a, a backer on Patreon, uh, which you can find at patreon.com slash cinematic universe, um, then you'll get to hear these episodes pretty much as and when we make them. We'll put them straight on an exclusive feed for, for Patreon backers. Um, but if you're not a Patreon backer, then you will get to hear them whenever we have a week where we haven't managed to... Um, get around to doing that week's minisode or main episode on time um, we'll use these kind of backed up bonus episodes because they won't be time sensitive uh, we'll use them to plug the gaps um, the only exception is this one um, we are putting this one out the week that we're recording it because we have a gap before our Tank Girl episode uh, because James is off in New York interviewing the cast of Iron Fist and presumably trying not to raise the question of the fact that everyone thinks Iron Fist is a bit shit by all accounts <laughs> um, yeah so this is going to be the first um, of a, what I'm a series that I'm loosely calling long reads, where basically it's an excuse to sit and talk about some comics that we wouldn't get to recommend to Joe because they're too long. Uh, whether that's like you know an entire series of something, or a long run on a title, or a long storyline on a particular title, um, and that's what this one is. Uh, so to introduce and explain what it is, um, I will also get David to introduce himself and explain what it's all about. Uh, I'm David Hartrick and we are talking about something that is incredibly dear to both me and Seb and that is the death and return of Superman and it's various various story arcs <laughs> as Seb will explain. Uh, yeah so and uh, sorry do you want to also just explain like who you are and, and why people should care that you're you're on this episode what's, uh, what's your background <laughs> who are you? <laughs> uh, well I, I'm predominantly I, I'm very very acutely aware that the football and comics Venn diagram has just me and you in the middle Seb to be honest yeah, um, but I'm much, one voice yeah. of uh, <laughs> one voice of the Football Fives podcast and I was on the In Bed With Maradona editing team for an awful long time but my True Love is basically 90s DC events and uh, this is one of the, this is probably the second one I came to um, and remains uh, one of, I think to be perfectly honest with you, one of the best comics events full stop, um, but we shall get into that. Um, yeah, so this is it's the death and the return of Superman. So um, it's kind of now tends to get lumped together as one big long event. Um, it's actually well, it's kind of either three or four story arcs, depending on what set of collections you read it in. When it originally came out, it was three storylines called uh, Doomsday, Funeral for a Friend, and Reign of the Supermen. Um, but those three arcs then got collected into their better known titles of The Death of Superman, World Without a Superman and The Return of Superman. Uh, but in the more recent trades that they've done, because Reign slash Return is so long, they've split that in half. And so you now get them in trades as Death of Superman. I think it's gone back to being Funeral for a Friend and then Reign of the Superman and then finally The Return of Superman. But basically, it's the big storyline from 1990, should have looked this up beforehand, two or three? 
93. It starts at the start of 92, doesn't it? Yes. Um, yeah, 1992 and 93, and it might even have run as far as 94 now that I think about it, because it went on for a long time, in which they killed off Superman, had him be dead for a little while, and brought him back to life. Um, <clears throat> the other thing to sort of get out of the way in terms of explanation, I think, is that um, this was a this was a crossover but not a crossover in the sense of being a bunch of different characters, although you know you do get guest appearances from other DC characters. Um, not not a, not like a, a company-wide crossover, but an event in a particular um, you know strand of comics, and in this case, the Superman comics. Because at the time that um, this was being published, it was the early 90s, it was the height of the speculator boom, it was a kind of quantity over quality approach to a lot of comics, although... <laughs> You and I both agree that these comics are actually much higher quality than they tend to be given credit for. Mm. Um, but it meant that at the time there were actually four ongoing Superman titles. It meant there was an issue of a Superman title being published every week. And for the most part, while they did have their own creative teams and their own styles, storylines would run across all four books. So that's what happened with these storylines. So this actually takes place in issues of uh, the four ongoings, which were Superman, uh, Adventures of Superman, um, action comics and Superman the Man of Steel uh, and then there are also like the odd the odd random issue of something else that got pulled in like there's a Green Lantern issue yeah. uh, which is because he becomes relevant uh, for, for reasons that we'll get to um, there's things like there's a one shot called uh, Legacy of Superman that's got some bits in and there was a Supergirl and Team Luther one shot that kind of thing <laughs> Justice League of America gets pulled in because not only was Superman a member of the Justice League but Dan Jurgens, who was the writer and artist of the um, adjectiveless Superman series uh, was also the writer and artist on Justice League America so that gets pulled into the storyline as well so it's um, it's not even worth going through because I'm mindful already that I've gone on about it long enough um, like every um, issue that's covered but it basically it starts with um, issue 18 of Man of Steel uh, from December 92 and it pretty much all comes to an end in Adventures of Superman 505 in October 93 uh, I've just looked those up from a list. You might be able to tell. Um, so basically, yeah, it's sort of what's that? Uh, a year, a year of of the four Superman titles. Um, yeah, in and amongst they also they didn't publish one for was it three months? Oh, there was a break. Yeah, yeah. So after the actual death of Superman, uh, or was it after the funeral? Maybe. I think it was uh, after the funeral. Yeah, and then there was there was no Superman title at all for three months. Yeah, looking at this actually, looking at the the dates here it's yeah so it's the funeral uh was in the funeral storyline ends in march 93 and you get the legacy of superman one shot in march supergirl and team luther comes out in april then it's june that they all kick off again um like you have adventure superman 500 and from then you get the reign of the superman storyline which is like not to spoiler opinions on this but that's the bit where it gets really good <laughs> is when you've got the i mean like i like i mean that's i think that's and maybe that's that's an interesting starting point for this really but like i am a really big fan of superman generally and and dave i presume you are too like in a, yes. in a wider general sense um, but one of the things that's great about this storyline is that it becomes a story about what happens when Superman's not around and Superman is defined by his absence and kind of the whole point of, of Reign of the Superman, not to jump ahead because we will get onto it in more detail, but it's um, it's basically replacing Superman with four 
characters, all of whom could possibly be Superman, but all of whom are inspired by particular types of early 90s superhero and it's the sort of it's the, they're all the type of superhero that people at the time would have been reading in like marvel and image and going these characters are way cooler than superman superman's like old-fashioned and and you know rubbish and pointless you don't need superman in the modern world anymore and basically this entire storyline is about setting up and explaining why you need Superman and and why you know things don't go right when you've got these four <laughs> different versions yeah. of him. I mean, not least because one of them turns out to be the villain. But you know, again, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. I will say as well. I think that we'll we'll sort of. I don't, I don't want to spoil all the kind of good twists and turns and things that there are to discover in this. But you know, there's no way to talk about it without talking about what happens over the course of it. So if you're worried about spoilers for a 25 year old comic, <laughs> then, then go and read it first. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it's to be. I mean, even just hearing you lay it out in those terms, it's absolutely crazy, isn't it? <laughs> it shouldn't. There's so many aspects of that that already, even in that couple of minutes of summation, just shouldn't work, but actually yeah. do. I mean, and I, I think that is sort of as like that's indicative, I think, of how people perceived Superman comics at the time, and even like you know, doing the storyline was just seen as. A gimmick and you know um this kind of i think kick-started a bit of a trend for doing these big earth-shattering events with characters because the year after this you had nightfall um and about a year or so after that you had um the clone saga over in spider-man um, mm. we, we, just you know james and i will probably do a clone saga one of these at some point you, you have all been warned <laughs> um and you know, and so I think it kind of, and I think particularly the the death part of the storyline, I think, did attract criticism for basically being a big overblown event um, that only served the purpose of let's draw a load of attention to Superman and sell millions of copies of of Superman seventy five in their black poly bags and stuff. Um, and while I think, I mean, the the death part is probably the least interesting of the three. It still comes from a time when the Superman comics were really good. I mean, they mm. they just were. I mean, pretty much from the point and like on the pod before, we've talked about the the John Byrne era stuff. Like, recommended some of it for for Joe to read. Um, but pretty much from the point that John Byrne relaunched, like it had its ups and downs. But you had a period of almost ten years where there was a solid editorial through line through the books. You had really good creative teams on it. You had good writers. And you had, for the most part, fantastic artists. Like, mm. most of the mm. best artists who've ever worked on Superman did so between, like, 1986 and 1995. Um, and, you know, there's there's really strong... There, it, there was a world built around it. There was really strong character stuff. A lot of characters were created that hadn't existed before and became really integral parts of you know superman's mythos and and his supporting cast and stuff and so actually taking in the context of of that like you know it's not really a surprise that this is a really strong arc like it's not even necessarily well return maybe it's but it's not even necessarily the best part of that era like i mean again i I don't know about you david my my favorite part of this whole era of superman is all of the stuff that roger stern did with Mm. um, lex Luthor, like the roger stern action comic stuff with lex Luthor faking his own death and coming back as his son uh, like every single issue where he gets to focus on the character of Lex is fantastic. Um, but there's loads of stuff like that dotted throughout, and they've all got their own style. Um, all you know, all, all the kind of individual series. They've got the different writers working on them. Um, you know, the kind of and the artists are all quite different in style from one another. You know, they're they're mm. mostly not that horrible early '90s 
you know, image and Marvel yeah. House style. Um, so it's, I, I think, yeah, I think this this run has a bit of an unfair reputation for, um, you know, for just being a big overblown 90s event, when actually what it is, is it's a chapter in a big ongoing character-driven story that the Superman books were doing at the time. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I think some of the some of the character work is absolutely brilliant in this era. Like you, you'd say with Lex, absolutely superb. It, I mean, you should, ne- you should never want the Joker to win, just as you should never want <laughs> yeah. Lex to win. But you come very, very close in this time. And even in, the, even in this arc, the, at the very start, he's sort of primarily used to keep Supergirl off the table more than anything else. Mm. And it's it's just great. The, the voice and the tone is just absolutely what I want Lex Luthor to be. And I think you're right. I think they do get a bit of an unfair reputation. And that's because they are... A little bit overblown they are a little bit over long they are flashy there are splash pages all over the the show which we'll get to particularly with the fight but um i i love that i think you just have to embrace that and if you embrace that and can embrace that then you will fall in love with this um so what i mean what what was your sort of background coming to this um did you read it as it was coming out did you read it no. after it came out no i i I had a bit of a strange introduction to comics in that, and uh, this sounds equally as bizarre, really. Uh, early in the, uh, well, sort of probably 1994, 95, um, the big Batman event, which I'm sure we'll come to at some point, was Nightfall. And I didn't read Nightfall at the time. I came to it by the five-minute radio shorts on Mark Goodyear's <laughs> afternoon Radio 1 show. And, Which were produced by Dirk Maggs of yeah. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fame. <laughs> uh, and I I absolutely fell in love with the story. There's something just completely captivating about it. And you could go and buy an audio cassette of the first one they had done, which was Superman, Doomsday and Beyond, which had been on Radio 5, not on Radio 1. Hmm. And I listened to it, and the I think the best way you could describe it is it's a very stripped down version of Death and Return. It's I suppose in the parlance of today, it's a young adult version, really, <laughs> where a, a lot of the obviously a lot of the heavy continuity stuff has been taken back, and but there was something about it just completely gripped me. Now, the first thing I did was I I got I started hunting for Nightfall and. As Seb will tell you, 90s events, there was no straight line through it. The comics companies literally used to take a full page advert in their own comics to tell you that <laughs> to give you a map, a road map of where the main story, where you can follow it. I mean, and, the, the Superman books at least had the thing of they had what they called the triangle numbers that they yeah. introduced, I think maybe in, in 92, maybe, where basically on the cover of any Superman comic, you'd have a triangle with a number in it, and that would show you what number issue of the overall Superman story that was for the year. But it doesn't really help with an event because it doesn't tell you what chapter of no. that particular event it is. Also, you would get random issues of other things that would be yeah. pulled into the event. Well, they, this so. is it. There was, uh, I think with this one, there were there's the Green Lantern issue you mentioned. There was also uh, an issue of World's Finest that got bought into it, I think. And it was a major commitment. Mm. <laughs> it really was a major, major commitment. So... 
I began hunting it down and it basically took me, I would say, probably three years to hunt down the full, the full, the, you know, all the issues together. Then, helpfully, they published the trades because DC are just painfully slow on their trades, particularly in the 90s. Um, so then got it on the trades to read in a more collected form. And it's it's an arc that actually bears quite a bit of rereading. There's a lot there's a lot more layers to it than it it first it, it first appears. And there's I just I think I fell in love with Doomsday, funnily enough, which I still maintain. A lot of people raise their eyebrows at this, but I still maintain is a really good piece of character design. And I think the thing that I found quite captivating over everything else at the time was the lack of explanation that basically mm. suddenly there's just doomsday is coming which was a, a splash page at the back of a load of superman comics for about three or four months and it was basically just a it was a hand hitting a wall that's mm. all it was wasn't it and then he he comes he, he's basically you you sort of find out he's uh he's breaking out of a, a stone cell basically and he ends up the first thing he does when he's on the surface of Earth is literally crush a bird in his hand, and, <laughs> and then straight... a deer as well. Yeah, and then he gets a deer a, a couple deer of pages before... later. And that that sort of uh, that sort of lack of explanation. Right, here's a threat. Here's a threat who can go toe to toe with Superman because the issue after that, he takes out the Justice League, and it's mm. it's quite. I mean, it, if you were to tell sort of the current generations of of comic fans that this was a Super League with like Maxima <laughs> in it and Bloodwind and yeah, uh, I mean it's it's not even like because it's the it's the post Giffen and Dematis Justice League, so like mm. it's not a Justice League that's specifically designed to be lighthearted and jokey. No, but it's also not a Justice League that, apart from Superman, has any A list characters in it because it's got holdovers from the Giffen and Dematis. So it's got Fire and Ice and Blue Beetle and Booster Gold and Guy Gardner, but they've all been made a bit less jokey anyway. Yeah, because Dan Jurgens is doing it and Dan Jurgens is like I. There's a lot that I like about his writing, but he is very straight down the line superhero yeah. writer. Uh, I mean, not that he can't do jokes, but you know he is. Sort of, yeah. He, but... The point is, it's not a comedy book anymore. And then no. yeah, you've got like you've got Maxima, um, who was previously a villain, a Superman villain. Um, Bloodwind, who man, if you're reading Death of Superman <laughs> on its own, like like I was at the time, there's an ongoing plot strand in that Justice League series of Bloodwind is this mystery character who turns up, and in the de- during the events of Death of Superman, Blue Beetle figures out who he is, and before he gets to say it on panel, he gets smashed and put into a coma by Doomsday, so you don't find out who Bloodwind is. If, if anyone uh, is listening to this who has read Death of Superman but never read any other the comics of that era and has, and has never otherwise heard of Bloodwind and wants to know who it is, it's the Martian Manhunter mm. basically. For some reason I don't even know the reason but Martian Manhunter was, had disappeared and was pretending to be this new mystical magic themed character called Bloodwind yeah. um, it's really, it's not very good you guys. Yeah, but I, I think just that sort of um, again that, that real that genuine mystery around a character because Comics have a habit of sometimes over-explaining things, and mm. whereas this is the complete opposite, he he kills the bird, kills the deer, then he takes out the Justice League. I think Superman's first introduction to him is catching Booster Cold, who hasn't he punched into yeah. the punched into the sky, and then I think it's uh, is it Double X that gives 
the the very first sort of hint of what he possibly might be when he says he he could be a DNA alien, which is a whole nother story that it's <laughs> not worth going into. Yeah, and so so yeah, so double X is a part of the whole uh, the the Jack Kirby um, Cadmus cloning project stuff that's going on in the Superman that was quite heavy in the early 90s stuff and like the character yeah. I mean if you I don't know if have Cadmus been in Supergirl because I know that Jimmy was the was an incarnation of the Guardian in Supergirl but I yeah. don't know if Cadmus have been in that or if they've been yeah, in the they, other DC TV yeah, stuff they have they have and I think funnily enough it's skipping around a bit but I, I think if you if you read this at any point, you will actually see a lot of through lines to Supergirl. There's mm. a quite they take quite a bit, of, not least with Hank Henshaw, obviously. But there's yeah. there's a couple of other little story beats and nods and hints that there are quite a few. So if if you are watching Supergirl and enjoying it, then it it may be worth trying this. But yeah, I mean, I I, I think I think in general, early '90s Superman is something that that would appeal to two fans of Supergirl like again and even I mean I haven't watched all of Supergirl but what I've watched of it uh, you know a lot of what I've liked has been the the tone that it's drawn from that Mm. and you know even things like you know the character of Cat Grant comes from this era um Maxwell Lord comes from elsewhere in DC and and that era but yeah just that that general tone and feel is is very like what these these Superman books were doing at the time yeah but that's that was what really drew me in and I mean it was only it was only afterwards they've added on sort of layers of explanation of who Doomsday was basically, and he's effectively the the best way yeah. I can sort of describe <laughs> is basically like a Kryptonian dinosaur, effectively yeah. the ultimate as he was originally called. But none of that really mattered at the time because all that mattered at the time was here was somebody who could go toe to toe with Superman and was a genuine threat because mm. Superman as an overpowered character, it's quite difficult to do that with, you can't take an existing villain and just yeah, do that out the blue. Because, yeah, obviously, they, you know, they, they had already, I think the issue that you have is you can't suddenly have one of the existing villains win because it becomes, well, why didn't they win before? Yeah. And it also becomes, if they can win now, can't they win again in future like you know the the purpose of the villain is to lose and like the superman books had already obviously you know you'd had all the stuff with lex luthor and and again one of the things that i absolutely love about lex luthor in this era is i mean he is he is the he is a villain but he's not the main antagonist he's just there in the background like yeah. his he, like he has this thing of he would really quite like it if superman was dead and he gets annoyed at doomsday because doomsday killed superman and he didn't get the chance to but equally he doesn't devote a lot of time to trying to kill superman because the, the you know the through arc of lex luthor is he discovers in the early part of the john Byrne run he discovers kryptonite um but the kryptonite ring is what gives him cancer and kills him um so from the you know from then on his energies are devoted to faking his death putting metropolis into a recession while he's yeah. dead coming back as his son inheriting his own company and rescuing metropolis so that he be it's not that he wants superman to be dead so much as he just wants to be the beloved figure in charge again yeah um, and, he, you know, he kills people and he's horrible and he's a villain and everything he does is evil machinations. But it's not the story is not here is Lex Luthor trying to kill Superman. And I, and I like that that's the case. And you get so much more out of him if that's the case. Yeah, um, they'd already done Brainiac. Uh, I mean, they'd done Brainiac a couple of times, but then they did a big storyline about a year or so before this called Panic in the Sky. Mm. And that was Brainiac's big play, basically, where he does a big invasion of Earth and ultimately gets defeated. So you couldn't have him. So, yeah, I think I, I think one of the things that this does get criticism for is 
the introduction of this, you know, previously unheard of threat. But I do think it's kind of the only way to do it. Um, and it fits in with the fact that I think, again, something that people would criticise is the fact that the, the death storyline is basically a succession of fights in different <laughs> yeah. locations. The idea is that Doomsday is getting closer and closer to Metropolis. Superman is trying to stop him and keeps being unable to stop him and basically chases him to Metropolis. And then finally they have a fight in Metropolis. Um, but I think it's okay, partly because it's so short. Like, it's only six or seven issues. I think it's seven if you include the, yeah. the Justice League issue. Um, it's not really the point. Like, the point is getting us to the point where he's dead, and then that's where all the interesting stuff happens. Like, this is very much the first act of the film. I think if you read The Death of Superman in isolation as a trade, which I imagine a lot of people did, because it did get put out as a trade quite quickly, and I'd imagine that a lot of people read just that, or even just read issue 75, because mm. speculator boom and everyone thought it was going to be valuable. <laughs> I've, I've bought that in sealed polybags for 50p before now. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. uh, you know newsflash, if you publish two million copies of a comic, it's never going to be valuable. No. Um, yeah. So you know, so there will be people who own who will only have read that, and who I think will see it as quite disappointing for that reason, because it's just, you know, it's just a whole load of fight scenes. And if you're a fan of the character, and if you're a fan of the supporting cast, then there is character stuff going on in the background, but it's very secondary, you know. And it's in some cases like there's there's the early issues um, that are part of the Man of Steel issues, which by Louise Simonson and John Bogdanoff, and they're sort of tying the threads off of some of their subplots from that time. Mm. Um, yeah. you know getting everything ready to then to do do what they'll do next which is that they do the, the steel issues um so there's bits of that but if you're just coming to this as a new reader you're not going to be aware of that and i know that no. i wasn't really aware of that as a kid when i first read it um so in that sense i can see why the death arc is quite unedifying um and also um like people have criticized like particularly the last issue uh, for being, you know, it's it's twenty odd full page splash pages. Yeah, um, but you but get it. Is... It's done deliberate. I we should yeah. explain. It's done deliberately because there's basically a countdown in. Yeah, which there's it's... there's a whole issue that's four panels, a whole issue that's three panels. Then the final issue, it's two panels until is it last? It's it's basically the last three scenes are basically double page splashes, aren't they? So it's effectively um... a four, three, two, one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's, yeah, so so the the issue of Man of Steel that comes just before the death issue is yeah, every page is two panels, and yeah, I think is it it's Action Comics before that where every yeah. page is three, it's three, um, and it's four before, four. and then yeah, the the final issue. It's not just that it does a whole issue worth of splash pages, but as you say, like the point where they're actually at the very very end. Do you actually get a? Oh no, so yeah, so it's the last two pages. Well, it's like the last four pages, but the last two images are double page spreads. And that's like the point at which he dies. And yeah, it's like, so like, again, I can see that if you take issue 75 in isolation, you could see it as the peak of the 90s storytelling style of big splash pages. But it's like, no, they were actually doing something clever with the form. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a shame that if you don't, if you don't notice that, you don't pick up on it. And I know, again, I wouldn't have picked up on it like the first time I read it or anything like that. It's just this subtle, ominous countdown effect that's really nicely done and is probably you know a rare opportunity for them to do something like that yeah and it's the way the way it builds the, the thing is i'm sort of i'm i'm really aware while we're doing this that this is one of those stories that would would not be to everybody's taste there'll be people who have read it who listen to this and mm. think we're absolutely crazy to be even <laughs> devoting the time to it but 
I, I think if you just get into sort of the cadence and the rhythm of it, and if you look at that and think, well, this this is an this is an issue that is just splash pages throughout. Just embrace it. If you embrace mm. it, you'll fall in love. And I think the thing that carries it more than anything else is again the artwork is absolutely superb. Yeah. And you know, I to come back to it again, I think I think Doomsday is a really good piece of character design. He's he's effectively a. A, a great big lunk, but he just things just look right. He looks like somebody who could kill Superman, and I don't even know what that looks like, <laughs> but he just does, and it, it it works. And I think I think if you just read that arc, you probably would you, you would leave disappointed. There's no way around that, to be honest. But when you look at it back in the context, once you've read the whole thing, and you can pick up on things like the countdown, the panels, etc. Then you realise that, as I said, there's there's more layers going on that it might it appears to it appears to be one of the most superficial comics going, mm. but there is genuinely more more going on than that. And that's that's why I think you know the sort of it's, I think it's quite important to if you are going to read this to read it as part of the overall saga mm. because I think then when you move on to uh, the second part, you know, the sort of the fu- you know, funeral for a friend as it was originally known, world without Superman as it as it is in the trade that I've got. And as I say, you know, this is a uh, this is a story arc that is entirely about, uh, well, you know, world without a Superman. It's you know what happens after Superman dies. Superman is completely off the table for the entirety of this, and it's it's before return. So there's not even any. You don't have the question mark in the air of how and when is he coming back, even though you know as, as a reader you would be aware that he's going to. You know that it's not the case that they're that they're ending Superman, especially because and this is I think there's a there's an interesting um, bit of context around this, which is that this is going on at the same time as the Lois and Clark TV show is <laughs> is quite popular. Yeah. Um, and what basically happened was that, it, that the big event for for ninety two and ninety three was supposed to be the wedding of of Lois and Clark, but the TV show took off, and the TV show had its kind of will they won't they moonlighting type vibe to it, and the and Warner's basically didn't want the comics to have a happily married Lois and Clark, um, so they needed them to delay it. So they were at and, the writers' retreat, and they basically went, "Oh, do you know what? Let's just kill him off for a yeah. bit." Instead. Should should just um, explain as well in the comics this the the major art they had coming up the marriage had mm. been trailed effectively for for fifty issues essentially. This yeah. is this is what it was building to, and yeah. then they got the rug completely pulled from them. And as as Seb says, it became a it became a joke, didn't it? You know, yeah. let's just kill him. Yeah. Which you know, as you know, turns out to be a great decision. But I mean, uh, part of the irony is that by the time they did actually get around to doing the marriage, the TV show's popularity had dropped off a cliff, and the style mm. of the show had completely changed <laughs> yeah. as well. Um, you know, it, it, in some in some senses, it was an improvement, but in other senses, you know, I mean, the, the early momentum that the show had had completely gone by that time, mm. and by that point, nobody cared what was happening in the comics. By the time they did finally. Um, get Lois and Clark married, but I think the fact that you have the you have Lois in the position of actually being Clark's fiance at this point helps, um, and you know certainly helps with the immediate aftermath stuff. It creates the slightly awkward scenario of the fact that she's grieving for Clark and Superman at the same time, and mm-hmm. everyone around her is kind of like, oh, it's really sad because obviously the whole point is that Clark has to be one of the people who's missing as a result of Doomsday's rampage. Um, so you've got Lois kind of mourning for her fiancé, as everyone knows, but also, like, you know, clutching Superman's tattered cape at various points. And I think, I mean, there was kind of a running strand generally in the comics where people would be like, 
they would see how Lois was with Superman and they'd be like, hang on, aren't you engaged to Clark Kent? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I think the, but having that character there means that the story has a lot more impact than, you know, if he didn't have someone that close to him in his life at that time, you know. Um, yeah. So I, it's, it's, and it also, it, it gives their sort of goodbye kiss and then Lois sort of over his body at the very, very end, the day a Superman died, is yeah. obviously gives you your big iconic... Uh, note to to you know your big beat to end on doesn't it mm. that's the thing but then uh, i was we're explaining off air <laughs> that i haven't read uh funeral for quite a while but there's still i uh, thinking about it there's still a lot of moments i can remember i feel, I, I remember lex um he he paid for the mausoleum didn't he and set the yeah. mausoleum up because <laughs> he, he if he couldn't kill him he wanted to be the he one who buried him, him. Which I think is just a (laughs) superb little character beat again. And these are the things, these are the little nuggets in these arcs that I think they get lost because people just go too long, too inflated. Mm. I I can't get my head around that. But the other thing I remember is Bill Bill Clinton and I think Hillary Clinton being at his funeral. Bill and Hillary are at the funeral. Yes. Um, I don't know if they'd actually had like a current president in it in that way before i know that um ronald reagan turns up in in justice league international in fact in a conversation with superman um but yeah sort of the you've got bill and hillary at the um at the funeral and then actually bill clinton's in it as president in return of superman as well yeah because the cyborg superman saves his life um and yeah yeah um so yeah that's a bit of a precedent for for when obama started turning up in comics yeah like eight or nine years ago um, but yeah, I mean the the funeral stuff. Like I say, I mean, I it's again, it's 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 not where the see where the run kicks into high gear. But there's some really great stuff. A lot of it is around Lex. Um, so you've got these issues of action comics that are, I'd say, written by Roger Stern, um, and they're drawn by um, Jackson Guice, who uh, now now goes by the name Butch Guice and has done a lot of work on Captain America and stuff like that. He's a fine artist. He's probably my favourite of the artists on this run. But although when I was a kid, I didn't like his stuff as much, um, but he's just got this really elegant style. And um, in those issues of Action Comics, when Superman's not around, Supergirl becomes the lead character in Action Comics, and there's some really good stuff. Um, and this is the this is the version of Supergirl. I mean, we could do a whole podcast explaining <laughs> Matrix Supergirl. <Yeah. laughs> but to cut a long story short, um, she is... Um, a proto-matter shape-shifting being from an alternate universe, uh, the same alternate universe if you listen to the episode where Joe reviewed that John Byrne issue where Superman kills the Kryptonian criminals. Yeah. Uh, she's from that universe um, who at this point is in love with Lex Luthor because in her universe she was created by a good version of Lex Luthor. So she comes to this universe, gets confused for a while, thinks she's Superman for a little while, goes off into space, comes back in the Panic in the Sky storyline, establishes herself as the new Supergirl properly, and then falls in love with Lex Luthor. So... But what I like in this run is she actually gets to develop something of a personality and a character of her own and also starts to resemble what you would think of as a classic Supergirl personality that she hadn't really had before. So that stuff's all really well done. There's a really nice little subplot that actually happens in in an issue of Superman, the the Dan Juergens, the ones that he writes and draws, uh, where where Lex um, murders... um, his one of his um like karate instructors um which goes on to become an important plot line a little further down the line it's just this this moment of 
when the there's during World Without a Superman, there's a storyline involving Superman's body being stolen by Cadmus, and eventually they yeah. get it back and they put it back in the tomb. And Lex is alone in the tomb that he's built with Superman's body, and just has this moment of triumph and like explains how he murdered this woman just to prove that he was like back in control of things. Um, yeah. And so there's just a, there's lots of like little character bits uh, like that. It was the um, the, the body is recovered. They, Lois and Supergirl team up basically. Yeah, to, Lois and Supergirl yeah. team up to break into Cadmus to get his body back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before that, you've had the actual funeral, uh, which is in an issue of Man of Steel. So that's written by Louise Simonson and, and drawn by John Bogdanov. Uh, the funeral issue is is great. I mean, not notwithstanding the bizarre appearance of Bill and Hillary Clinton, who Bogdanov does a pretty good likeness of actually. Um, but that's where you get a lot of the crossover of you know other DC characters come into it. There's a really lovely Batman moment. Um, where mm. Batman apprehends a terrorist who's got a bomb at the funeral, um, and like he he pulls him up on a batarang to the top of a building, and the guy's like, "Please don't drop me! Please don't drop me!" And Batman goes, uh, "This is Metropolis is Superman's town, so for today I'll play it his way." And he leaves him dangling from the building with a sign saying, "Please arrest me." <laughs> um, yeah, there's lots of like, throughout the whole funeral thing. There's little bits like that, and what's really nice is as well you've got um, Ma and Pa Kent um, back in Smallville. You know, watching this on TV, like knowing that they can't publicly like come out and mourn the fact that they've lost him, so they kind of have their own little funeral ceremony at home, and you know, it's yeah. really nice. It's it, it it's when Pa ends up having a heart attack, doesn't he? Yeah, and that's, that's kind of what then kickstarts the next part of the story because it's so mm. it's issue five hundred of um, Adventures of Superman, which. Because of the relaunch when John Byrne came in and they did Man of Steel, um, they launched the new Superman ongoing at issue one. Uh, this was back in the days when comics mostly kept their old numbers. Uh, remember those days. Um, and so Adventures of Superman took on the numbering of the original Superman run from the 1930s. So Adventures of Superman issue 500 is essentially the 500th issue of the original Superman run. So that issue was quite a big deal and is quite a bizarre one where Pa Kent has, after having had a heart attack, um, like pretty much ends up in the afterlife and sort of rescues Superman's soul, but you don't know. It's really weird because yeah. I think generally DC's relationship with, you know, metaphysical concepts and and theological concepts can be tricky. And well, it's never all quite... over the place. Call exactly. it what it is. It's absolutely all over the place. And and I think because of the fact that the for a while the series is quite cagey on whether or not he's when he comes back you're never quite sure if he's actually died or not or if it's just that he was like in a very very deep coma but i think if you're you know and again this issue i think it's deliberately unclear as to whether this is actually his spirit and actually in the afterlife but it culminates in park kent coming back you know like waking up from from his coma and basically saying, you know, I, I brought him back, I, I brought Clark back, but you don't see, you know, what's happened to Clark, and you don't see whether he's come back to life. What you do see is they go to Super, and they, by which I mean Lois Lane, and I think Inspector Henderson, maybe, uh, yeah, who's a cop, who, Metropolis has like two or three main cops, and Inspector Henderson isn't as good as Maggie Sawyer, is, is all you really need to know <laughs> about him. Um, they go to the tomb and they find that the, that the coffin's empty and that's what leads into Return of Superman slash mm. Reign of the Superman. But at this point, you don't know if he's come back and you don't know how he's come back because what you've then got is this lengthy mystery story as to who is the real Superman 
out of these four new characters they create. And this is as well, this is really where the structure of it being the four books really pays off. Yeah. Because each of the four books, while again, while it does still tell a story running through, you know, sequentially, each uh, of the four books is about a different one of the characters. So they all turn up in the other books, but they're very much the creative teams get to make the characters their own. So um, Dan Jurgens gets um, a half man half machine cyborg superman and and his story is that he was rebuilt by persons unknown because he has amnesia but basically his body was really badly damaged by doomsday uh he got rebuilt as a cyborg and he's kind of the most obviously heroic and obviously superman style one uh you've got the last son of krypton who's in action comics uh by roger stern and, and jackson Gweiss, who kind of who looks exactly like superman except his costume's got black in it and he wears a visor and he kills criminals he's basically become a ruthless grim murdering vigilante uh you've got the man of steel who is uh initially people think he's a robot but he's actually a black guy in a metal suit um who was basically inspired to wear the costume because superman saved his life but there are people who believe that like maybe he's got superman's spirit inside him or something because he's mm. kind of really heroic and stuff uh so he's in the pages of man of steel by louis Simonson and, and john bogdanov uh, and you've got superboy who is mm. a clone of superman and he's a teenager in a leather jacket and sunglasses uh, and he's in Adventures of Superman, uh, which is by Carl Kiesel and Tom Grummet. And so you just have for you know for several months you have these four books all telling the story of what these four possible replacement Supermen do, and and like what their respective claims to to being uh, Superman is. And and is is it good, Dave? Yeah, I, I mean <laughs> the the thing you've got to understand there were it was a genuine mystery at the time. This is this is pre internet pre. Um, massive spoilers coming months ahead um etc and it was there was a genuine mystery to it and i think you could basically everybody knew it wasn't steel so it wasn't john henry yeah. irons and he was there's a great again another great little character beat where you actually see um his inspiration which is he he uh he's on a building site and he grabs somebody who's fallen above doesn't he um mm. but in the process of doing so falls over the side himself Superman saves him, and I think he says to him, "You, you owe me a life, or something like that." He so, he says to Superman, "I owe you my life," and then Superman yeah. says, "Then make it count for something." Yes, that's it. That's it. And he Steel Steel is a really, really good character. You know, on his own, take him out of this story, and he would be a completely captivating hero anyway. But then we still you... need to do the Steel movie at some point, which oh, might counter well, that question. A bit. Good old Shaquille O'Neal. Um, <laughs> But then you had, there was still this, with each of the four of them, you could genuinely sit there and make a feasible case. Well, maybe, maybe, because at the end of the day, there is part of you, there is some, there are some moments. I mean, you talked about the sort of Park End stuff. There are some moments in this where your explanation for what has gone on is basically comics. And that is (laughs) the actual death. And if I say the words Kryptonian mirror state, etc., it's just it's it's never really it is literally just comics just enjoy yourself and even when superman gets his powers back at the end the explanation for that is a massive well comics but we'll get to that eventually but there was a genuine element and i i remember thinking when i didn't know who it was i was fairly certain that cyborg superman was going to be the key was going to be the one with an element in there 
and well, it was. And I, I think you're. I think you are supposed to believe that. I yeah. Think it's partly, I'd say, because he's the one in the Dan Jurgens book, and Dan Jurgens is like this kind of platonic ideal of a Superman artist. Um, yeah, and you also get you get that moment where he's he's trying to explain. He's trying to explain to Lois, isn't he, that he can remember the name Ken and a farm, I yeah. think, in, in Smallville. And you sort of think, oh, right, hang on. Because you get a bit of an explanation. You you know where Steel's coming from. So if, if there is anything in Steel, it's obviously something spiritual. Yeah. You know Superboy is effectively a, a direct clone. So it can't, it can't be him who's going to take the mantle on because he is Superboy. So yeah. it comes down to one or the other. And Cyborg Superman was the one where they kept leaving a bit of a cookie trail for you. Now, when, you, when you've when you read an awful lot of comics over years and years and years, you pick up on where the <laughs> cookie trails are, you know, yeah. straight away. If, if anybody read the first issue of, I don't know, Hush and didn't know who was going to be the killer immediately, then you've not read enough comics. But that's not the point of them. You know, you, there's still plenty to enjoy on that journey. And I think... The other thing was, I think everybody had a favourite. I mean, if I asked you now, Seb, I'm sure you'll tell me one of them was your outright favourite. I think, I think it's, I think it probably varies depending on the time. Again, like I think now, I, I really like. I think partly because of knowing who he is and because of the creative team, I really like the last Kryptonian. Yeah. Um, but I think probably the first time I read this, it was probably the Superboy issues that I enjoyed the most because they're just fun and ridiculous. Yeah, and the um, teenage voice in that is absolutely yeah. spot on. It's well, especially really well the, written. This, this was like, so because Adventures of Superman had been being written by Jerry Ordway, um, and Jerry Ordway is like a Superman legend, like both as an artist mm. and a writer. Like he started out um, drawing um, Adventures of Superman um, at the same time as John Byrne took over Man of Steel. So you had John Byrne doing, doing Superman and you had um, Jerry Ordway drawing with Marv Wolfman writing um, Adventures of Superman. And from that point on, right up until the end of Funeral for a Friend, Jerry Ordway was involved in the Superman books in some way. He was always mm. there as either a writer or an artist. And he'd been the writer on Adventures with Tom Grummet on the art for quite a little while. And he had done so much in terms of like establishing various characters um, and you know setting up a lot of the Metropolis set stuff and a lot of the stuff in various like offices and stuff around Metropolis hmm. and then but basically he he left um after issue 500 the the one with with the Park Kent um, that that's kind of his uh, he probably popped up to do other stuff since but that's essentially his farewell to that superman run and so you get Carl Kiesel coming in as a writer with the same art team and having to Firstly, he's got to maintain the tone of that book and like the supporting cast that Ordway had built, but he's got to write this young, brash teenage superhero <laughs> yeah. in the middle of it. And yeah, it's that that book has got such a fun, light tone and such a strong voice that, as I say, certainly when, when I read this as a kid, the the issues that I tended to enjoy the most, partly because of the art, were the the Kiesel and Grummet ones and the Dan Jurgens ones. Um, I say now, like from an artistic point of view, I really like John Bogdanov in a way that I didn't used to. And I also think Louise Simonson's stuff has got some really interesting character stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but of everything, it's it's the Stern and Gweiss. And that, as I say, that goes back before Death of Superman. Like the, their action comics run together, I just absolutely love. And the last Kryptonian stuff is, um, you know, to sort of, it depends if we want to get in now to talking about who everyone actually turns out to be. Well, but, I, yeah. Um, I think the thing about the the last son of Krypton stuff was that 
again, it, Cyborg Superman had that little moment with Lois, but there's there's a whole thing where he it's quite you can start to believe the last son of Krypton could be Superman because it makes sense what he says in effect that he he's basically creates the impression that Superman is back, but there is no more Clark Kent, and he said he says as much to Lois, and you again. It makes sense. It shouldn't make sense, but you sit there and you think, well, yeah, that completely works. And they, he has that conversation with Lois where he does remember elements of their relationship and does mm. say, well, yeah, but I, it, it's it's just Superman. Clark is no more. And also, he he catches a plane and and then like Lois confronts him and he flies off and that's like the classic Superman scene. Yeah. is Superman catching a plane. Like, in yeah, his first public appearance. and I think I, that element of genuine mystery I, I don't think should be underplayed really mm. because comics are difficult to do mysteries in in mm. in that way because everybody who reads comics there's this uh, has usually been reading things for an awful long time and you pick up on the tropes you see you see the road signs you know what's coming this was so radically different the other thing i was going to say is it was also comes from a time where death in comics wasn't used as a plot point when somebody died it was something completely uh, it, it was huge it was absolutely mm. massive Comic so the fact death wasn't as much a thing as it, as it no. is now it was slightly a thing but nowhere near as much. no so yeah. then so the fact that you've got these four supermen who could all genuinely lay claim Mm. and you're not getting spoiled months in advance so you are sitting there thinking well genuinely one of these could become superman for the next generation or two what what i like about it just i mean this thinking about it something i hadn't really realized before but one of the ways in which the four of them work well as a set is that they've all got different motivations Mm. so you've got steel who um Basically, his thing is just he wants to honour Superman. He doesn't want anyone to think he's Superman. He just wants to honour him. Um, Superboy wants to be Superman. Like, he he acknowledges that he's not. He acknowledges very early on, and he tells everyone that he's a clone. But he wants to be the new Superman. He wants to take over. He wants people to accept him as Superman. He wants people to call him Superman and yeah, not Superboy. Yeah, don't call me Superboy. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. he, he has a, a manager who registers the trademark and stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, Last Son of Krypton believes that isn't superman but believes that he is he's essentially delusional because of the way that he's been created in the way that he's come about he thinks he's superman and the cyborg wants everyone to think he's superman and that that's where your big spoiler is really is that cyborg is the only one who's lying like he knows he's not superman but he's trying to convince everyone that he is and i think that works because you you do then get four very you don't just have a story where four guys all turn up and go i'm superman they all some of them say it, but they they have different reasons for saying it, and they're all mm. trying to achieve different things by doing it. And that's, I think, one of the things that works really well. Mm. Um, the other big thing that works really well is the the twist and revelation of the fact that the cyborg is the baddie, mm. um, because I guess the other thing with this is obviously what you know we've talked a lot already about um, the idea of these four Superman coming along. What we haven't really talked about is plot, and you could be forgiven for thinking that after Superman dies, there isn't really a story. 
Uh, but there is a story uh, which comes up partway through Return of Superman, which is that uh, a big alien spaceship comes to Earth and destroys Coast City, which is the city that Green Lantern comes from. Uh, and that has the side effect of setting Hal Jordan off on his own big <laughs> event. That he, yeah. his, his nightfall happens as a result of him going mad as a, as a result of it. Mm. Um, but the big twist is that this is all the actions of the cyborg Superman. Um, because the cyborg Superman is an obscure character from about three years <laughs> earlier, <laughs> which again I, do, I imagine must have been the case for you as well. I had no idea of his history in in the Superman comics before reading no, this because I, it's like one or two issues that he's in. Yeah, um, and he's he's like his first issue was I mean going back to the very early days of Superman, wasn't he? He was part of a. I think it was part of a space shuttle crew. So, so what he was? Well, very. I mean, it was the. It was. It was relatively recent in that it was early nineties. It was part. It was one of Dan Jurgen's earliest yeah, issues. Yeah. It's a. He's a fantastic four party. So it's. Uh, we haven't That's said it, the name, yes. but it's. It's yeah. Hank Henshaw, and this is why it's so weird that Hank Henshaw is who he is in Supergirl, because yeah. that's not who he is in in the comics. So Hank Henshaw was in a Dan Jurgen's issue of Superman, a really blatant Fantastic Four. Parody. Yes, like yeah. Hank Henshaw, Reed Richards. That's who he is, basically. But it does a version of the story where instead of going into space and being hit by cosmic rays and getting superpowers, um, they go into space, get hit by cosmic rays, and all die of horrible illnesses that are kind of like superpowers, but which also pretty much kill them. Um, but through really complicated and stupid reasons, Hank Henshaw survives as like an artificial intelligence. Um, has a hatred of Superman because he blames Superman for what happened, gets merged with the Kryptonian birthing matrix that carried Superman to Earth, <laughs> and yeah. goes off into space to discover the universe and like learn knowledge. And That's explore. right. He not um, only merges, he makes a little spaceship for himself. Makes a little spaceship for himself and flies off. Yeah. Um, so this is what enables him when he comes back to Earth and he has this technological thing where he's basically a master of machinery and can do anything with machinery. But it also means that he has Kryptonian DNA. And that's why when he comes back and people do tests on him, they go, oh, you're the real Superman. And that's how he's able to hoodwink everyone into thinking he's the real Superman. But he's not. He has a plot to destroy earth by putting giant engines on it and turning it mm. into a new version of war world and he's teaming up with a villain called mongol who's a classic superman villain who's an um, excellent it's, excellent yeah. villain <laughs> yeah uh yeah it's i had I, I mean i can think back to the the first time um we had that reveal i had absolutely no idea and not only that i had no internet to dive for to try and bring up <laughs> a load of history i mean yeah. uh, kids have got it easy these days but I mean, you do get there is a nice there's a couple of pages summary in fact there's a really weird thing happens where um like in one of the issues um one of the underlings on on the ship like this is like after it's all been revealed and why like in the middle of the plot one of the issues of Superman takes time out for one of these underlings to bring up like a recording, a data bank recording that explains the history of who, firstly of who <laughs> Hank Henshaw is in the first place, and then what's happened to him in the years since and him becoming the cyborg Superman. This takes up, uh, let's see, half a page, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, pa eight and a half pages explaining this story. The best part is, at the end of that, the character who's being told it 
says that it doesn't make sense, and it gets retold as a one-page bullet point <laughs> summary. <laughs> Literally, this is. I'm, I'm going to read this and quote it verbatim. Right, really simple. Leader wants human. Name Hank Henshaw. Astronaut friends dead. Mate two now too advanced to live on Earth. Leader blamed Superman. Hated Superman. How get revenge? Superman dead too. But he had Superman's genetic code. Could assume Superman's identity and have him blamed by Universe for destroying Earth. Yeah, what? But they just spent eight pages explaining that in more detail. It's comics. It's just, it's that explanation yeah. again. Is it's just comics? But again, to sort of uh, the other thing I wanted to say is I can completely understand people raising an eyebrow when I talk about character design with Doomsday. All four of these character designs, I think, are excellent. Really and really stand the test of time as well. And I mean, Superboy's is terrible, but in a good way. In a good way, yeah. <laughs> in a good way. I think again, what what they're doing specifically is they are all being elements of popular nineties costume design. So Superboy has a leather jacket and like you know belt straps, two belts and, kind of and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Cyborg Superman is a, a very nineties looking cyborg. No, uh, Steel he's... carries a, a hammer. Yeah. <laughs> Cyborg Superman, though, they've even the the elements of machinery you can see on him are where uh, Superman got pretty heavily damaged in the fight. They've even gone yeah. to that sort of extent, and then Steel has literally created himself a a he was a he was a weapons designer and an iron worker, and he's literally created himself a suit of iron with an iron full a full head iron mask, mm. and, he's and got then a massive hammer. Yeah, and then the the last son of Krypton is is essentially a futuristic Superman, or what yeah. you would have thought in the nineties would be a futuristic Superman, and that effectively meant a bit of black and a visor. But <laughs> they all work; they all yeah. work, and they all look really, really good. I mean, actually, the you know that I look at it, the Kryptonian's costume is not dissimilar to you know the uh, Injustice Gods Among yeah. Us because yeah. it's the big shield like yeah. that comes over the head with the cape attached to the shield kind yeah. of thing. It's yeah. Yeah, and it, it again, it's these it's these little things that shouldn't work, but somehow they they just do. And the whole, I think the the cyborg Superman story arc is, I think it's just great. And every every time I read it, I just think I I, I come back to that same thought. This really shouldn't work, but somehow, mm. some way, it does. And we've not even talked about Superman's actual return yeah. yet, <laughs> and the form he comes back in. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, I think what's what's clear is that none of the four are actually Superman, and and just to to box it off, the the last son of Krypton is actually um, a Kryptonian artifact called the Eradicator. Um, who I can't even get into the Eradicator, but just basically <laughs> imagine a computer turned into a humanoid form who is dedicated to the preservation of Kryptonian life and society, but who gets reborn and merges with a bit of Superman's body um and thinks it's as i say it's like it's not that he's kind of evil and going i'm going to try and be superman he gets it into his head that he is superman and like the fortress the the robots that are superman's little servants in the fortress of solitude um, yeah. don't want to risk him going mad if he discovers that he's not so they play along with the delusion that he is actually superman yeah uh, so that's who he is he's not superman either superman's real body um uh, the reason why it had disappeared from the tomb was that the Eradicator's essence had gone to the tomb, um, tried to merge with the body but couldn't, and so instead sort of takes takes some some mass from like the tomb and creates a body like in, that's a replication of Superman. 
and has the body brought to the Fortress of Solitude and placed in like a stasis chamber. And essentially it's like he can't draw power directly from the sun, but he can use Superman's body to draw power from the sun and then extract that power. So he's basically using Superman's body as a power battery. But mm. in the process of him doing this, while he's gone without his knowledge, while he's off fighting the cyborg Superman, this brings Superman back to life, but without his powers. So Superman comes back to life, goes to Metropolis in a giant Kryptonian robot and meets everybody else. And uh, that's when the real return gets <laughs> And yeah. he has long hair. <laughs> he, he has, has long hair. <laughs> he, he gets himself a black suit. Yeah. And uh, when it comes to the final battle, he even goes charging in with a machine gun. Which again is, I think this is them doing a deliberate thing of, look, this is what you think you want to see in a Superman comic. You want him running around in a black costume yeah. and a gun and, a, and an ammo yeah. belt over his shoulder. You want him to be like the Punisher, do you? Yeah. Um, but it's, there's actually, there's some really nice stuff in that. You've got, you know, this, as I say, like Coast City's been replaced by this giant, you know, city-wide machinery engine thing. And they're, you've basically at this point got uh, Superman, uh, Powerless Superman, Steel, uh, Superboy and Supergirl running around the place trying to find and defeat Cyborg Superman. And so you've got Superman without any powers basically showing why he's Superman because he's still being, like, brave and, you know, helping and being important yeah. and stuff. Uh, even when he doesn't have his powers. Yeah, I, he, that's the whole point. He he sort of charges into the battle regardless. And I think it's funny you say that about the sort of showing you look at look at what you could have because <laughs> I think even when you look at the artwork, when he's in the black suit, and particularly when it comes to the fight at the end with the cyborg, there is there is genuinely an over exaggeration of his muscles. It's a very mm. life filled way to draw a figure. Yeah. And immediately after that, when he goes back to the uh blue, red and yellow, there's there's a recognizable shrink. He then mm. looks like Superman. So I think it, it is again, it's these layers again. But you see, I love all that. I love Superman being Superman, regardless of his powers. Mm. And when he comes back it just feels so good to have him there. And I think Superboy is a character I've got an enormous amount of time for, but the two of them, when they're sort of briefly working together here as well, yeah, just really works. Just really works. Both voices are completely distinct, but yet unique, and yet you can see the elements of Superman in Superboy. It just, it, it just works. It just works. Yeah, there's a really nice moment when, like, because Superboy spent the whole time like insisting that he's Superman and not Superboy. Uh, and then, like right at the end, when Superman gets his costume back and flies off, and Supergirl says, "Do you think the world can handle two Supermen?" and Superboy goes, "I'm not Superman. That guy's Superman." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, there's a really uh, there's a really well written when Superman comes back when he sees yeah. Lois for the first time. Lois doesn't she she because he's got the long hair and because he does he looks genuinely overinflated she has genuine doubt in her mind as to whether he's the superman and she sort of mm. says to him they've all told me they were superman and yeah. it's just again it's a really well written reaction and a, a, somebody who's got the character's voice absolutely down absolutely yeah, it's, down yeah it's he um there's the whole yeah, because um, there's been all these other scenes where she's met these other characters, and they've all mentioned things like Clark Kent or the Kent family, um, and she's like, you know, just give me one reason why I should believe you, and he says to kill a mockingbird because it's Clark's favorite movie. 
Yeah. Which also uh, was a nice touch, nice touch as well because the fact that in To Kill a Mockingbird, Gregory Peck looks like a Clark Kent who never was. Like I'm sure that's a deliberate thing that they that they did. Um, yeah. But it's 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 great and there's just there's so many images I remember as well. There's the the one of at the end of that where um he's with Superboy and Steel either side of him just basically sort of flying up into the air and you just think yeah that's what that's what i read <laughs> that's yeah. what i read comics for that's what i that's what i want to see and i think I, it's this this is a it's a dense story but there is enough here so that if people aren't overly familiar with superman's backstory that they don't need to worry if they don't recognize somebody on panel or if there's a bit of a sub story going on that they're not quite getting because there's still enough here that you will enjoy and that will see you through everything else yeah i also as well i mean i this is one of the things i actually don't want to spoil like in case there is anyone who is still going to read it after everything that we've mm-hmm. talked about um the way in which they cover off how clark kent comes back uh, is one of my favourite like moments in a Superman comic. Basically, it's so much fun. It's it's really nicely done. Yeah, yeah. I and I think I think it's exactly right to leave that unspoiled. But well, that's the thing. I mean, there's lots of you know. I say I know. I'm aware that we've talked about a lot and we've given away the big plot reveals and stuff. But there's, I mean, particularly in in Return, there's so much going on. And we've not even talked about like all of the stuff with. Steel and like because Steel has his own plot line going mm. on with his own backstory and his own villain that happens while all of this other stuff is going on. Um, you've got a fantastic issue where um, the last son of Krypton meets Guy Gardner, and I, I, I mean, Guy Gardner is an all time favorite comic character for me. And what I love about him here is that Guy Gardner has had a running thing of hating Superman because he's so opposed to like everything that Superman stands for. He thinks he's a goody goody and a boy scout. And he's like, you know, cause Superman's leading the justice league at this point, And basically him and guy fall out. Guy gets jealous because ice who's guys on off girlfriend, like basically develops a crush on Superman. Um, <laughs> so the point is he's got every reason to hate Superman. And during the doomsday fight, he's still being a dick to Superman. <laughs> like he's still, yeah. arguing with him while they're fighting doomsday together then superman gets killed and all of a sudden guy gardner has this like immense respect for superman because he's like well you know this guy died fighting this villain he's obviously you know he's he was the best of all of us kind of thing so then you have these what guy sees as imposter superman coming along and he goes and hunts down the last son of krypton and basically tries to beat the crap out of him for (laughs) daring to impugn you know superman's legacy but then he becomes convinced that the last son is the real Superman and becomes like a cheerleader for him because of how he's got really dark and and, and violent yeah. and stuff. So it's, it's all kinds of little things like that going on that, you know, so many great moments beyond just like the major beats of the story. It's just, it's really dense superhero comics. And it's not especially... It's not, you know, dense in terms of being like particularly philosophical or having depth of meaning, although I do think it has layers to it. And I think it is saying stuff about the nature of superhero comics and about Superman's place in them. But it's, you know, it's just really well crafted. It's just it's it's writers who really know what they're doing, who really have kind of backgrounds in this stuff and, and who can do this stuff with their eyes closed. It's got artists who are, like I say, I think most of my favorite ever artists who have worked on Superman. Mm work on this era somewhere along the way um so it's just and it, yeah you know like you it's something that I, I would have lost count of how many times i've reread it mm. because there's just always enjoyment to be had in yeah back to it. it's just i think the other thing is it's just so 
it's so unapo- unapologetic about what it is and what it wants to be and it embraces every aspect of it and i mean we we've not we've not really mentioned it but as i said how superman actually gets his powers back at the end <laughs> which should be this major moment that we know exactly what's going on is another comics moment yeah. it really I still, is. I still couldn't describe to you exactly well, a <sighs> how superman comes back to life and b how he gets his powers back i could tell you what what's seen on the page but i don't think that's necessarily <laughs> what exactly what happens yeah and there's even i love how there's a line of dialogue where where the eradicator like when the eradicator knows that he's the eradicator at this point and he and he is explaining to superman how he came back to life and he basically describes how it was a unique set of circumstances and the timing was right and it was really <laughs> unusual and let's just say it will never happen again yeah <laughs> and it's it's again you, you can worry about things like that and you can sit there demanding an explanation but you really don't need to just accept it for what it is and it's so i think after the 90s in the early 2000s i think there was a period where comics became slightly ashamed of being comics and Mm. they they saw the sort of turn to darkness in the 80s after dark Knight returns etc and they thought well hang on we we're going to turn back to that darkness but then we're going to go beyond that and we're going to try and bring some realism to it and we're, we're going to try and explain everything and we're going to make sure that all of our stories are watertight and it doesn't need to be it's it's a comic book it's there to read and just get as much enjoyment as you possibly can from it and this story is just it it's it's basically like a thousand pages of joy <laughs> is what it is yeah. and at the end, uh, you could you could look at the very ending of it, and again, it's it's a spoiler, but essentially, Superman. I wouldn't say kills Cyborg Superman, but basically <laughs> disintegrates, <it>. disintegrates <laughs> him with not much hope of putting him back together again. Although it and really it, wasn't very long before he came back. <laughs> no, no. Well, he, I think even his last words are "I'll find a way back," aren't they, yeah. or something? Which again is just such a great comics moment it's such a great comics villain thing to say and again you don't worry about it just enjoy it you know just enjoy it and move on and i think as as we have these two massive film franchise universes now in marvel and dc and as they sort of reflect back on the comics and into that world i enjoy going back to something like this which is so unashamedly a comic book with aspirations of being nothing else and i just love that about it mm. and I, yeah I, and i just i like that it is this this affirmation of of superman and his supermanness and not even in a kind of you know boy scout kind of way but just um you know it would be really easy for this storyline to have been um uh, Let's let's reposition Superman as the kind of character that you '90s readers want him to be. Mm. But instead, what it does is this is what you '90s readers think you would want Superman to be. But we're going to show you why he's better than that. Yeah. Um, and it's also, you know, as a nice lead into one that we will do probably before too long. It's exactly what they did with Nightfall as well. You know. They, yeah. They they take Batman off the board and they give us a '90s style Batman. And Nightfall is a very different story from Death of Superman in all kinds of ways, and it's it's got its own merits and its own things that are brilliant about it. But it's got that same thing at its core. And I think what's what's great about them is, like, as a fan of of the character, um, 
I enjoy that because I like seeing the character and his values re-established and I like seeing how he comes out on top at the end of it. But I also think, I I would think slash hope that this story would work for a lot of readers to to show who don't necessarily think that they might like Superman, that it would hopefully show them why he's such a good thing you know mm. maybe not in the way that you know there, there are other superman books that like again on this pod that i've recommended to joe who wouldn't have been a superman reader beforehand who's gone oh yeah you know i can see why i can see why all-star superman would make people like the character um but i think this would do a good job of that as well uh because and, and character i think is an important word because i think there's there's a lot of character uh, in the main characters and in the supporting characters throughout this superman run um, and I think it, it, it exists in this really nicely built world that makes it an enjoyable read as well. Yeah, and it, it gave them the typical DC thing of it gave them a starting point to then go on and effectively launch a new continuity, a new line, a new way of looking at a character. But it was just such a... I, when you go back and you read comics from that time, they draw in so much of what has happened over the last two or three years as well. And again, mm. it's that thing of being unapologetic about being a serialised comic mm. book. And it's the soap opera thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's, the, you know, you, you, it's, it's an ongoing thing, and if you've been there since the start, great. But if you're jumping in, you have to acknowledge that it's going to take you a little time to pick up who characters are or what mm. these threads are. But they're designed also to give you points at which you can jump into them. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's you know, co- comics really don't do that soap opera style of storytelling anymore. They are focused now so much more around trade length arcs, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, and, and is obviously great for for probably getting newer and unfamiliar readers in. But I do sometimes miss that feeling of you know, here is a long ongoing thing that's like a soap opera that you don't need to have read all. If you have, great, but it's set up in such a way that you don't feel totally left behind because you know that other people are going to be coming into it at points as well you know like coronation street and eastenders never worry about the fact that they've been running for x number of years and they've just got ongoing plot lines and they don't have plot summaries at the start of every episode telling you what happened in the previous <laughs> no. episode um and i'm not saying all comics should be like that but things like x-men and and superman <laughs> and, and batman you know i, I like that They've had that sense to them, and that that Superman, what's I think was often referred to as the uh, the Superman eighty six to ninety nine period, and there's a there's a Tumblr blog which even if you're not reading or have never read the comics, I recommend reading through this blog. That's it's taken a while because it takes a while to write, and they're actually just got up to the start of Death of Superman. Actually, no, I think no, no they're on the fun the funeral era now, mm, yeah. uh, but it's taken them about three or four years to get there after starting at the John Byrne stuff, but. Um, it's really enjoyable reading them running through all of these issues and summarising them and, and picking up running jokes and, and plot threads and stuff and talking about them. Um, but that 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 era, and as I say, it ends around 99-2000 because there was a kind of mini relaunch. And it wasn't a continuity reboot, but it was a change in creative teams and a slight mm. change in approach. They stopped the books being so interlinked, basically, which is pretty much how they've remained since then. Um, but that era is just a really nice era of comics it has ups and downs creatively and it tails off a bit in the mid to late 90s in terms of the quality but um you know it's it's a long run of a sort that you don't really get anymore and this Mm. within that is a long story arc of a type that you don't really get anymore it was it it basically it's superman being superman over an Mm. extended period of time without writers who were 
worried about trying to do something different with them because mm. they had this or, yeah. they had this massive event to be the point where they roll the dice and do something different so before they can build up to that doing what works best and after they can carry on doing what works best and it, it's it all just came together but i i would recommend anyone read it because you've got it easy now because when there is a point you don't understand just head to the internet mm. it's it's so easy yeah. <laughs> these days it's untrue but i think i think there was something without wanting to sound like old man shouting at the sea there was something pretty wonderful about going and tracking down these various issues that my wallet didn't enjoy it but <laughs> you you it, there was a real joy to finding that one issue somewhere and eventually you could sit down and you could look at this event laid out on the floor and yeah it was it was it was a great it was a great thing and i think the writing for trade stuff as you say these days i think it's great with certain characters and with certain stories and with certain writers but i'm a bit like you i do miss the sort of sweeping saga of of having a really extended story like this that you're not sure how it's going to wrap up and where there's parts that you don't even realise that you've been building up to this, but you have been building up for a year or more. And, uh, and yeah, just read it. <laughs> just go and read it, because yeah. I'm going to reread it as soon as we finish this. <laughs> exactly. You, you know a story's good when you can sit here talking about it for an hour and it's made you, it's refreshed your desire to yeah. go and immediately read it and, and rediscover new things. Hmm. Uh, and as I say, I, I wouldn't be surprised if before too long we, we come back and have almost exactly the same conversation about Nightfall as well. Because a lot of what we said about uh, this storyline does also apply to Nightfall. But as I say, it's got its own uh, attributes yeah. that well, are very well, worth talking about. Nightfall was my very first major comics events and you never forget your first <laughs> that's the one that stays dear yeah. to you so. see this this was mine so for the same reason <laughs> it, it, it and it's the one you cherish isn't it it's yeah. the absolutely the one you cling to okay so well that just about brings us to the end of our death and return of superman chat uh i hope it has inspired some of you to go off and read it or alternatively you can uh, come and shout at me on the internet about why you think all of this is wrong and you don't want to read it but you know we're usually right about these things um, so um yeah i hope you enjoyed this this bonus episode and like i say you know the plan is to do more of them um if you want to hear them around the time that we make them instead of an indeterminate point afterwards then feel free to check out our patreon if you don't already back us that's at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe um you can find more episodes of the pod at cinematicmultiverse.com uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at cu underscore podcast. Uh, we're also on Facebook, uh, and uh, I, mean, I already mentioned the website, didn't I? I'm yeah. I'm not used to doing this. Joe usually does this, and he reads it from a from a note. So uh, you can uh, send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail com if you have any feedback. Um, and you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or any other podcast app of choice. You can leave us a review on iTunes if you'd like to get it read out by Joe on a future episode, and ratings would really help us as well. Um, our next main episode, which I can do on this because I know when this one's going out, uh, our next main episode is going to be on Tank Girl. Um, when James gets back from New York and we've all had a chance to watch that, we will sit down and talk about Tank Girl, which is, I think, going to be quite an interesting one. Um, so make sure you tune in for that one uh, so thanks for listening and we'll see you next week see you later
Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. 